0: Namaste na bang makinig ng podcast on your commute or to get that motivation before you start your day. Magbabalik ang 5 minutes lang with Season 2. Mas exciting, mas nakakakilig, at mas inspiring. Kakasama natin si Nabyanka Gonzalez. It will be uncomfortable sometimes when you step out of your comfort zone. Pero you have to like keep pushing the needle. Joel. My first date was the most perfect rom-com scenario ever, honestly. <laughs> Plus, ang creator ng Home Buddies and Hangout Buddies communities na si Frances Cabatuando yung iba pag solo travel Because like you're in a different place, nobody knows you And you're just out there to connect with other individuals At marami pang iba Let's talk about dating, growing your career, and everything in between 5 minutes lang Where we learn how to navigate life from people who've cracked the code Available soon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or kung and ka Pumo Podcast.
1: Those that are financing change are more or less the same countries and the same companies that have created climate change. So what they are trying to do is to protect their industries to not do any change, which is suicidal.
2: I'm Nina Toralba, podcasting from the Philippines, and you're listening to Spanner in the System. This is a podcast by the ETC Group, which works to promote conservation and the sustainable advancement of cultural and ecological diversity and human rights. Today, we're talking about a big idea. One of the biggest ideas since sliced bread and smartphones, literally because it spans the globe we'll be discussing the idea of geoengineering. Here to tell us more about all this is Silvia
1: Ribeiro. Okay, I am Silvia Ribeiro. I am uh, based in Mexico City, and uh, I am part of uh, ETC Group, which is the Action Group on Erosion, Technology, and Concentration. I am the Latin America Director for ETC Group, but I am also uh, one of the people working in the team on geoengineering.
2: Before we jump into geoengineering, let's start with something more familiar, volcanoes. Specifically, Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines, which erupted in 1991.
1: It's a little bit larger than ash is what's falling right now from Mount Pinatubo, which has been erupting uh, steadily all afternoon. Torrential rain has mixed with volcanic ash to form a gray mud, covering vast areas of the northern Philippines.
2: The eruption killed almost 900 people and displaced or affected close to 2 million. It destroyed agricultural land and sent a thick ash cloud around the globe. But where most people
1: saw devastation, others saw a new possible technology. The Mount Pinatubo eruption was not the largest in the past century, but it was the most dense. It was the one that has most sulfur dioxide. The largest particles went down to the earth relatively quickly, but there were more tinier particles that stayed in the air and um, had, a, had an umbrella effect. They were like blocking the sun. This doesn't happen with all volcanic eruptions. It happens with those that are particularly charged with sulfur dioxide. At global scale, it lowered the temperature in about half degree from some months, particularly. But then in some places, these aerosols that were created by this uh, eruption were around in the planet for two years or so. So that's why they said if this happened, you know, by a natural eruption, maybe we can create a similar effect. This has been attempted by scientists, but not in the real world in laboratories, in mathematic modeling, to try to see what would happen if they imitate this. How to create an artificial volcano cloud to lower the temperature.
2: That's right. Some people saw the Mount Pinatubo eruption and thought, hey, maybe we can solve climate change by making artificial eruptions. Just sit on that idea for a moment. It might sound like the plot of a superhero movie or the evil scheme of a Bond villain, but it's also one experiment in a field of study called geoengineering. So let's go back. What exactly is geoengineering?
1: Okay, so geoengineering is a set of proposals to engineer the global climate. It's about how, instead of doing something about the causes of global climate, how we can engineer the symptoms. So, for instance, uh, try to lower the temperature or try to remove the greenhouse gases that create a greenhouse effect and climate change. Instead of reducing the causes and stopping emissions of, of gases, geoengineering is about... Continue emitting, but removing them from the atmosphere later. The whole idea, as I said, is how to engineer, how to modify the climate at global level. So we could say that to be defined as geoengineering is about, is a proposal that is technological and that is a very, very large scale and is intentional. If you don't have these three elements, you won't have an effect on the global climate. So to modify the global climate, we are speaking about proposals that will be huge in scale.
2: So geoengineering is a set of different proposals to engineer solutions to the global climate crisis. These could be ways to lower temperatures, remove greenhouse gases, or store the gases. Those are just a few of the proposals, but what's important for us to take away from this is that all of them are attempts to create interventions that have a global scale and impact, and that these don't actually address the root cause of the climate crisis in the first place. They're proposals for the world's biggest band-aid. On the surface, you wouldn't immediately think that there's anything wrong with the idea. After all, isn't that what humanity has done forever? We've taken our science and technology and we've used it to solve our problems.
1: So why should the climate crisis be any different, right? So this is one of the things. The issue was at the global level with the volcanoes is that they don't affect everyone in the same way. So some people will win and other people will lose. There is a climatologist from the U.S., Alan Robock. He's quite well known. And he has done studies about the impacts that it will be if we create artificial volcano clouds. And one of them will be that you could imbalance the climate even more than it is now. For instance, it won't have the same effect if you cool down the northern hemisphere. At the same time, you will be causing floods and droughts, particularly in Asia and Africa. One of the scientists that were, you know, looking at Mount Pinatubo, a scientist called Paul Krutzen, and he made this calculation that, yes, we could use this to manage this increase of temperature that is also causing problems. And so if we inject aerosols, for instance, sulfur dioxide into man-made clouds, really, you have to do, thicken the clouds. you cannot do clouds from zero, but you, can, you have to thicken the clouds. If you could do this, what happened is that after some time, they will fall down. So, some people asked Paul Krutzen, so some people will die because of that prematurely. I mean, they won't die from inhaling directly, but they will die because of the inhalation, particularly if this is done over a long time. And he said, well, yeah, maybe half a million die of that, but we will be saving many more lives. The issue is that, you know, when you hear this kind of reasoning, that was. That was an answer that he gave, you know.
2: Which sounds like a very Thanos or Lex Luthor type of
1: answer. You immediately start thinking, okay, so who will decide? Who will die? Who will not die? Because on one hand, you cannot really manage that. It's not like you will put a cloud and the cloud will stay where you want (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing. But also, who will manage all these other impacts in different parts of the world? Who will decide when to do it, when to use it? And one of the most uh, important things, if, for instance, this kind of geoengineering could be used, this kind particularly...
2: This is just one problem with geoengineering. The consequences are grave, as in it may send people to their graves. We're talking about global interventions that affect people, and we need to ask, who gets to make these decisions? Who decides who lives or dies? And another concern about geoengineering is that it isn't something we can launch and then stop if we decide it's not working out. Remember, all geoengineering projects today are only being done in labs or with mathematical models.
1: Sylvia, could you tell us more? You start using it and then you cannot stop it because it will be worse than not having done anything in the first place. You cannot stop it anytime soon. You have to continue with this over centuries. I mean, we are not speaking about years. We are speaking about centuries. The reason for that is that you would need that to continue reflecting part part of the sun back to the space. And there are are some specialists on this, like Raymond Pierre Humbert is another scientist that says that you will need to continue for probably centuries to thousands of years. Because the moment you stop, the moment you stop injecting every two years, for instance, injecting sulfur dioxide, At that moment, the temperature will suddenly raise over the starting point. So you will be in the same situation. Because of that, using geoengineering in many cases, but in this case in particular, create a captive market for those that are using this.
2: The thing is, we can't run any experiments to see whether or not these geoengineering solutions will work. And the moment that we start one, we can't just say, oops, we can't stop it if it doesn't work the way we hoped or if it produces unintended consequences. The next thing Sylvia points out to us is that geoengineering may seem like an ideal altruistic solution to the global crisis, but its proponents have ulterior motives. These first world countries and conglomerates aren't exactly our climate crisis
1: heroes. Ten countries historically have emitted Over 75% of greenhouse gases. And it's also very few companies. It's 100 companies, and most of them are transnational companies, most of them are oil, gas, or fossil fuel companies. They have produced over two thirds, almost 70% of their greenhouse gases. So, what I could say is that this has been an effect on everybody that has been caused by very few. Companies And they have also the main promoters of a technology that does nothing to stop their business, but instead they are creating a technology that can be sold to governments or make countries and populations dependent on their technology on a way that you can stop them when you start and they will continue emitting gases. Those that are financing geoengineering are the same, more or less, the same countries and the same companies that have created climate change. So what they are trying to do is to protect their industries to not do any change, which is suicidal, let me say, because it's not only another option. It's not that, okay. we will take that option of geoengineering. It will be bad for some people. Some countries may, you know, be fried and others not. Why are they developing now? Why are they speaking about it now? Now because they expect states, that's all of us, the public to pay for this because this will be a climate technology. It will be quotation mark called a climate technology. So the same people that has been producing climate change, now they expect the rest of us to pay for the infrastructure through the states because we have to control climate change and then we have to pay to them. But the worst thing is that they developed these technologies not to remove carbon. Carbon capture and storage was developed to exploit more oil. So if you put all this together, for instance, the energy to build the infrastructure, the pipelines, the transport, this is expensive, and it also uses a lot of more energy. My point here is that there are a lot of other environmental, health, economic, geopolitical problems with geoengineering. But the largest problem we have today is that this has been a giant deviation of real solutions. And we are consuming invaluable, irreversible time we need to devote to put real solutions on the table.
2: The recently released report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change was clear about how we need to take drastic solutions now actual solutions. A lot of those involve seizing practices that harm the environment. So why are there such huge investments in geoengineering when there are better, more comprehensive, more sustainable
1: ways to deal with a climate crisis? This is a very good question because what geoengineers are arguing now are that, well, Okay. Maybe geoengineering is not good, but we are only doing small experiments to test the technology so we can be prepared. They call it a plan B. The problem is that to know if you, if it really any of these technologies will have an impact on climate change, you will have to deploy it at the very least over two decades and over such a large scale. So it's not a test. It's just, you know, deploying geoengineering to know the only thing that they are doing is just building the stage to have the technology ready for the people who have the money and the resources, the people and the companies and the countries who have the money and the resources. They may deploy it without the consensus or without the agreement of all the others because they think that, oh, maybe I can have a cooler, you know, northern hemisphere, even if the rest will have a lot of problems. It is something that at least we at TTC group, but also many other organizations, hundreds of organizations that are part of something called the Hands of Mother Earth campaign. We really think that solar geoengineering should be immediately banned. It, there is no other way of handling geoengineering, solar geoengineering. Solar engineering, blocking the
2: sun, deflecting its rays before they reach the Earth's surface, poses the problems we've discussed, namely unsustainability, and unpredictable effects. But
1: it's just one kind of geoengineering that we need to be critical of. In the case of carbon removal, what we see is that there are also a lot of technologies that are equally dangerous for other reasons. For instance, if you attempt to manipulate the oceans you know, by changing the chemistry of the oceans or by fertilizing uh, with iron or urea, this was an att- attempt to do in Philippines. That will have a change reaction of so many reactions on the marine food chain. On the, this on
2: all the sounds like in, bad in news, rain, I know. Anoxia, but
1: there are oxygen. some clear things we can do. What we really need to do is to stop emitting, <laughs> stop emitting as soon as possible. It has been clear for some decades, but the IPCC was very clear. There are three main sources of emissions. It's The production of energy based on fossil fuels, production and extraction of energy is the industrial food system, not only agriculture. It's agriculture, deforestation and uh, all the production of food and livestock production. So the whole industrial food system. And only on a third place, you have like, for instance, building and cities and, you know, construction. And so it's, and transport. If you put all this together, the industrial food system is about 50% of the emission of global greenhouse gases. It isn't
2: too late. And given everything we've talked about so far, we should want to stop the destructive behavior rather than pursue geoengineering. What do you think,
1: Sylvia? Most of the food, that reaches 70% of the global population is small food providers, is peasant, is artisanal fisheries, is artisanal pastoralists, is even urban gardeners. Urban gardeners provide about 15% of the food we eat. This means that there are a lot of people in the world that are already trying to you know, stop these emitting gases and also is kind of not emitting them already because they only have less than 25% of resources, even if they provide the food for 75% of the population with very little land, with very little water, with very little um, support and public policies that can support them. If they are already doing this with 25%, There is a lot we can do that. And this is a real solution. We know how to do it. These people know how to do it.
2: Number one, we need better support for small-scale farmers and other alternatives to industrial food production. This means buying from local markets, but it also means advocacy and political action so that governments can invest in small-scale farmers more. It shouldn't stop at the individual level. If you want a deeper discussion on this, you can also check our previous episode, where we talked to Neth Daniel about bananas. The next intervention is...
1: 10% of the richest people of the world, in any country they are, if they go down to a standard of living that is as an average European citizen, 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions goes down in the first year. And then... 30% each year. And that's a lot. This is 10% of the richest people in the world. So does this mean that the
2: billionaires and millionaires have to stop flying around in their private jets, driving their fancy cars,
1: and basically just consuming more than most of us ever will in our lives? It doesn't take much in today's world to be in that 10%, really. But I don't mean with this that the rest 90% doesn't need to be any change. We can do changes because the kind of consumption that has been in a lot of ways imposed to us is bad for our health. It's bad for our relationships. It's bad for, I mean, relationship with the community. It's bad for our relationship with among generations. It's, It's bad for so many things. So we have a lot to win there. I'm not trying to be cynical of saying, ah, you know, I don't want to have my phone and I don't want, you know. I love of these things that are comfortable, but there are so many other things we have to win there, you know, in relationships, in knowing who produces the food, in, in that our children or you, because you are all... Yeah, <laughs> will really uh, enjoy knowing more about, you know, how food is grown and what we can do and not using so much plastics and, you know, going back to use glass bottles or, or metal bottles or many other things that are also fun.
2: covered a lot in this episode, talking to Sylvia about geoengineering and how it can be a distraction from the real solutions to the climate crisis. Rather than focusing on new technologies like geoengineering that try to address the symptoms of climate change caused by other technologies, we, and that we as all of humanity, need to employ the solutions that are already in front of us. We need to support initiatives that support small-scale farmers over industrial farming. We need to promote less consumption. We need to develop a better connection with the world around us and how we can care for it in a sustainable way. I know this sounds like a lot, but it's gotta be better than trying to find ways to recreate the effects of volcanic eruptions or other big geoengineering ideas. It's better to be part of a real solution rather than continue to be part of a global problem. Because at this point in our history, we're already dealing with too much. All these problems seem so huge. All these challenges seem like they are bigger than the things that each of us deal with in our day to day. In our next episode, with political scientist Dr. Sorab Aurora. We'll have a conversation about how to think about this world that we live in and ask some big questions of our own. You've been listening to Spanner in the System. I've been your host, Nina Toralba, with our editor, Carl Dave Sayat, and our producer, Carl Javier.
0: magbabalik ang 5 minutes lang with Season 2 Mas exciting, mas nakakakilig at mas inspiring Hi everyone, this is Bianca Gonzalez Hi everyone, I'm Joelle Hello, I'm Francisco Batuando At marami pang iba Let's talk about dating, growing your career and everything in between 5 minutes long, where we learn how to navigate life from people who've cracked the code. Available soon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or saan Ankamand Pumo Podcast.